right, good morning. How's everyone doing? Good, good weekend. Uh, shout out to uh, Texas State for barely losing to the Baylor Bears. So that's, that's a win to me, okay? Uh, barely losing is almost a win. Uh, so uh, shout out to Texas State football team. Uh, if this is your first time joining us, my name is Pastor Alberto. I have the honor and privilege to lead this church alongside our team of elders, which include co-elder Thaddeus Evan Brown and chief elder Jesus as he shepherds and leads this church, and we submit to him. Uh, if you're joining us online, I want to welcome you to church. I want to shout out Christopher Bielan and his family who are joining us uh, from the East Coast. They were in Maine last week. Uh, shout out to Andrew, who's joined us from Enterprise last week, but he's in the room, so shout out to you, man. Uh, and shout out to everyone online. So glad that you're joining us this morning. Uh, we gather to worship God. Uh, as I've said before, this Sunday morning isn't a religious activity. Rather, we gather to worship God in community and be transformed by God. And when we worship God in song, when we worship God in prayer, when we worship God together and we look at God's word, uh, God begins to transform us from the inside out. And uh, it is my strong belief that when we come together into the house of God, bring a sacrifice of praise, we begin to experience and meet the living God. And God begins to transform us from one degree of glory to another. And so I'm excited to worship with you all this morning. I'm excited to dive into the Word as we conclude our series uh, in Ephesians chapter 2 from death to life. So we're going to look at these last couple verses in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 17 through 22. So I want to invite you to stand with me, and we're going to honor the reading of God's Word together. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17 through 22. It says this, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Uh, For through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also uh, being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated as we pray. Father, we come uh, in Jesus' name and we worship you uh, for the privilege it is to to gather together um, and to lift your name up. Uh, Lord, we know that this setting can be a hostile setting in other parts of the world. So, Lord, I pray for our brothers and sisters um, that put their life on the line to experience this. I pray that you would meet them, refresh them, protect them. Uh, Lord, I pray that your hand would be over um, Afghanistan and, and, and the community there, Lord. I pray that your hand uh, would be over the people who are hurting and afflicted uh, in the midst of this destructive and chaotic season. Father, I pray that you would come bring peace. Lord, I thank you uh, that, that you, your gospel, your word, your message has the power to dare, tear down every single wall of hostility. And Lord, I pray that love and grace and healing would come over the land. Lord, thank you for this gathering. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this word. Holy Spirit, help us to uh, see the word, focus on it, and be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So for, so for the past couple of weeks, four weeks, we've been uh, discussing this idea from death to life. 
and how uh, in the gospel, when we follow Jesus, there's this incredible transaction that happens, uh, the great exchange. We, we go from experiencing death to life in Christ. And, and death isn't just an event that awaits us. Rather, death is the quality of life that, that we're exposed to, that, that we're living in. And, and we know that this death is marked by all sorts of destruction and afflictions and suffering and feelings of hopelessness. We, we see death all around us. Um, and Jesus, in his great love for us, comes and, and meets us where we are and takes upon death, not only the reality that we live in, but this sort of eternal future that awaits us, takes it upon the cross so that you and I can have life. And when Jesus dies on the cross for our sins, there's this great exchange that happens through faith that you and I can experience new life in him. And so what we see happening is that Jesus dies to free us from the power of sin so that we can have life in him. And so in this first week of the series, we sort of went through this question. We answered this question that you and I are not what we are supposed to be. Everyone in this room will agree that, that you and I are not what we are supposed to be, that deep down within our heart, within our soul, in our mind, we feel this disconnect from, from the life that we're living and the life that we long for. There's this yearning for eternity. There's this yearning for something bigger than ourselves. We long for hope. We long for freedom. We long for joy. And it seems like there's something missing. It seems like there's this gap in our life. And that gap is caused by sin. And Jesus comes to bridge this gap through the cross so that we can become all that he has intended for us to be. So that we can come alive in him and experience relationship with him. So that we can experience a joy and a hope and a life that isn't dictated on what's happening out there, but is found upon a person who transcends all that is happening out there. So we're not what we are supposed to be. He comes and dies so that we can become all that he's intended for us to be. And one of the things that Jesus has died uh, so that you and I can experience is what the scriptures call adoption. Jesus has died so that we can be adopted by the Father. You see, contrary to popular belief, uh, our accurate description apart from Jesus is that we're strangers. We're aliens. We're lost. And Jesus comes so that we can be brought back into the family of God. That when we place our faith in him, we become his sons and daughters. Jesus has died so that we can become God's children. That means that when you place your faith in Christ, you immediately are transferred into a new family. The family of God. The universal family of God. So this morning, I want to answer this question. What does life look like in the family of God? What does life look like when we come into God's family. Let's look at verses 17 through 18 as we begin to answer this question. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Uh, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. So from this verse, verse 17, we see quite a few amazing things. The first one is that Jesus came to us. Jesus came to us. This is incredible news for you. What this means is that Jesus takes the initiative in beginning and starting a relationship with you. If you ever thought to yourself that you took the initiative, that you're the one that started this relationship with God, the scriptures make it very clear that Jesus takes the initiative. And this is very important to understand because when Jesus takes the initiative to start a relationship with God, Jesus is going to be the one that sustains a relationship with God. 
He takes the initiative. He comes and meets us where we are. And this is incredible news because if it were up to us, and if we're being honest, we would take the initiative to pursue a relationship with God when we feel like it. We would say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start living for God once I, once I get my life in order. Yeah, I'm going to start living for God uh, once I get this sort of sin taken care of. I'm going to start going to church and doing all these things I want to do. Uh, first, I need to just get some things straightened out. And the fact of the matter is that there's no power within us to straighten out how crooked sin has made our lives. That there's no power within us to, to, to get over ourselves, to make our lives right. We need a power that is outside of us, that comes and meets us where we are, and lifts us up to a new perspective, a new life with God. And the reason why this is such good news, that Jesus took the initiative, is that you can rest assured that in your worst moments of life, when you feel like you've uh, epically missed the mark, that is the place where Jesus comes and meets you. That is the place where he takes the initiative to meet you where you are. In your lowest moment, in your darkest moment, in your most hopeless moment, the king of the universe takes the initiative and he comes to you. He comes to you and it says he preached peace. This is amazing. Uh, Jesus came and preached peace. He didn't preach shame. He didn't take the initiative and say, how could you live the way that you live? Why are you the way that you are? Will you ever get it right? No, he did. He came and preached peace, not guilt. And he didn't guilt us into relationship. He restored us into relationship. He came and preached peace, not a do better gospel. Do better and God will accept you. Do better and you will experience more love. Do better and your relationships will be awesome. Do better and the quality of your life will increase. No, he came and preached peace. This is a gospel of peace. When you are at your most broken, lowest moment filled with anguish and despair and there's nothing inside of you that can take the initiative to cry out to God, there's good news for you. He took the initiative, and he's coming to you face-to-face with the gospel of peace. He comes and brings peace. And how is this peace possible? Verse 18 says it's through Jesus. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So, so the possibility of a relationship with God is possible because of Jesus, because he has reconciled us, because he has redeemed us. Because of Jesus' work on the cross, you and I, the scripture says, have access to God the Father. Now, this word is uh, really interesting. The, 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 the Greek word sort of um, gives uh, this illustration of being granted an audience with a king. And so in this sort of Greco-Roman first century world, kings ruled the land. And so to be granted access, to be able to stand before the king was a very high calling. It was a very sacred thing. Not everyone got to stand before the king. And what Paul is saying here is that when Jesus dies for us and and sort of reconciles us and redeems us and, and restores this connection we have with him, We have this access to God that is equivalent to standing in his throne room and having a conversation with him. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, the ruler of the entire universe, we have access to him. 
You don't need to book an appointment with them. You don't need to schedule a meeting with them. Uh, I, I love the day and age we live in now. I have to schedule a meeting with people three weeks out just to walk with them or just to talk to them or just to uh, call them because that's how busy our lives can be. God isn't waiting for you to schedule a meeting with him. Uh, He's not saying, hey, three weeks from now, let's touch base again so that we can schedule a meeting two weeks from now. No, he's saying right now you have access to him. You have access to the throne room of grace that there's no barrier of time. There's no barrier of shame or performance or do better or get right before you walk into the throne room of God. You have this type of access and relationship with him. Do you believe this, church? Do you live like this? We have been reconciled. John Stott said, uh, although reconciliation is an event, access is the continuing relationship to which it leads. We've been reconciled. It's one and done. Your sins have been dealt with. You are restored. You've been adopted. You're a child of the Lord. Now access, pursuing this relationship, is an ongoing event. Our access to the Father through the Son who made peace By the Spirit. It's the Spirit who reminds us that we are children of God. That we are children of the Father and helps us to pray and commune with God. Life in the family of God is one of peace. Life in the family of God is one of access to God. I'm reminded of this uh, Tim Keller quote who said, The only person who can wake up a king at 3 a.m. in the morning for a glass of water is that king's son. We have that type of connection to the king. That we can enjoy him. That we can live with him. That we can access him. But if we're honest with ourselves, we really don't believe we have access. If, if we're being honest with ourselves, we really don't believe we have that type of connection, that type of union with God. If we're honest, we we feel like access to God is more of a burden, more of a duty instead of a delight. And and sometimes we feel like there's a thousand things we need to do before we can connect with God or access Him. And by the time we do those things, our energy is spent and we'd rather do other things. If we're honest, we treat our access more like a gym membership. We go when we feel like it. We go when we have time. We, we, we show up when uh, all of our other priorities are in order or we prioritize it too much and, 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 and neglect other things. And if it's not treating our access like a, a gym membership, something that we know is at our disposal, we, we treat it like a Netflix subscri- subscription. And maybe you don't have your own account. Maybe you're just logged into a family member's account. And so instead of being directly connected to God, you have a secondhand experience with him. It's not your connection, it's another person's connection. It's not your history with God, it's your family's history with God. It's not your relationship with Him, it's it's other people's relationship with Him and other people's knowledge of Him. And Jesus didn't die to gather second-hand fans, He died to make you family. Jesus died not to uh, win you off from a distance so that you can follow Him on the outside, He's died to bring you in into the household of God, into the family of God, so that we could experience a personal relationship with him and not settle for a second-hand experience. Jesus has died so that we can have access to God. 
And here's the good news of the kingdom of God. Verse 19 says that, that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This is beautiful. You don't have to live like a stranger. You are fully known by a God who loves you. You don't have to live like a stranger. God knows you and welcomes you and has a room for you and has thoughts about you and enjoys you. You don't have to introduce yourself to him. He created you and he cares for you. You don't have to live like an alien. The scripture says you are no longer strangers and aliens. This is a definitive moment in your life in Christ. You are you once were strangers and aliens. You once were separated from Jesus because of your sin. You once were trying to find identity in life in a thousand places and spaces. But the scriptures say that you are no longer a stranger and alien. You are not a visitor. You are not a guest. You are a citizen in the kingdom of God. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members the household of God. It doesn't say citizens with the Jews. It doesn't say citizens with the Gentiles. No, it says citizens with the saints. This is a kingdom citizenship so that when you place your faith in Jesus and come into relationship with him, you relinquish, you turn in your citizenship to this world. And now you abide and live by an entirely different kingdom ethics and kingdom standards and way of living that is completely upside down. And now we're free to live in the way that we were designed to live on earth as it is in heaven. And you and I can experience the life that God has made available for us because we're no longer citizens of this place. We're citizens of a greater kingdom. This is a kingdom citizenship. You are no longer a refugee. You are no longer wandering, trying to find a home. There is no second class citizenship in the kingdom of God. So what does it mean to be a citizen? As Paul's writing this, citizenship uh, held very high esteem in his culture, especially Roman citizenship. As the Roman world ruled the entire known world, to be a citizen of Rome carried some perks. You were associated with a kingdom of power and influence and prosperity. You uh, resided in a kingdom that protected you from all the known enemies of the world and conquered and brought uh, their version of peace and their version of stability. And if you weren't a citizen of Rome, it was a very vulnerable experience. Uh, it was a very hostile experience. In fact, uh, when uh, uh, Jesus' world was conquered by Rome, uh, they were all considered foreigners in their own homeland. And they were persecuted and taxed heavily and treated differently just because they did not hold a Roman citizenship. Last week we discussed how uh, the Apostle Paul was uh, facing death as this Jewish mob began to stone him and persecute him. And they were getting ready to finish Paul, and then Paul said, I, I'm a Roman citizen. How, how are you going to, to, to let me die in, in the hands of these people? And Paul was a, a Roman citizen. His name was Saul of Tarsus. He was born in a territory occupied by Rome. So he was granted the citizenship and the privileges of being a Roman citizen. It, it came with a sense of power and stability and security. But, but hear me, church. When we become followers of Jesus, we become citizens in a kingdom that can't be shaken. 
in a kingdom that is far more stable than any world economy has ever seen. In a kingdom that is far more powerful and prosperous than anything this world has to offer. And you're a citizen of that kingdom. You have rights in that kingdom. You live in that kingdom. You're defined by that kingdom. So your security and your stability isn't found in how well everything's happening out here or over there. It's found in a kingdom that can't be shaken. You're a citizen of a kingdom that never runs out of resources or grace. So when this world can't fill you up or refresh you or fill you, praise be to God that you are connected to a kingdom that has grace upon grace, mercy and resources that uh, God loves to lavish and pour out an abundance of spiritual blessings. You're part of the kingdom that is completely upside down and countercultural to the kingdom that we live in now. We belong to his kingdom. We live in his kingdom. Though it's not really here, but we're already there, we live as citizens of the kingdom of God. But Paul begins to get a little bit more personal. Because we know that sometimes citizenship can feel very impersonal. Uh, It's not very often. Maybe you do think about your own citizenship here. Uh, Maybe you're a dual citizen. You kind of feel like, oh, this is just... uh, an impersonal thing, but Paul gets more personal and says, not only are you a citizen, you're a member of the family of God. Not not only do you belong to God's kingdom, you're actually in God's family. That you live in his household. And, 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 And even more personal, you're his daughter. You're his son. God is your father. And God is a good father. You are no longer an orphan. You're no longer fatherless, you now belong in a way that you never did before. You have a home in the household of God. And this this word household is is a metaphor for family. It's this idea that, that we get to experience a sense of belonging and closeness that is experienced between loved ones and family. There's a place for you in the household of God where you're enjoyed and cared for and loved and received. How many of you know that Uh, regardless of maybe what your household felt like growing up, staying in a stranger's household never really felt like home. Uh, You you didn't really know where things were. You didn't know the culture of that house. Uh, And it seemed like, okay, I'm I'm visiting, I'm a guest, but it never maybe felt like you fully belonged. When we become citizens of the kingdom of God, we're, we're brought into a brand new home where we belong. Because God has made a space for you. God has made a place for you. God has brought you in firsthand into his kingdom. And you're known by him. And you're loved by him. And you're cared by him. You're not a guest in his house uh, where you can say, all right, God, I'm I'm checking out. It's 3 p.m. I'm I'm leaving, going on to the next thing. No, this is your residence, the household of God. We are citizens and members. But not only are we citizens and members, there's one more thing that we're becoming. And this is what Paul says in verse 20 to 22. It says, we're built, citizens and members, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, the teachings and the word that they spoke about Christ, with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a temple in the Lord. In him, you, you church, are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by 
the Spirit. We're citizens, we're members, we are His temple. Last week we discussed how Jesus broke down this wall of hostility. This very real wall that actually resided in the temple that kept outsiders from coming inside. And Jesus broke down this wall so that all outsiders could come into the family of God. But here's so amazing about Jesus is that Jesus doesn't just remove something. Never in the kingdom of God is something removed. It's always replaced. So Jesus doesn't just remove the wall of hostility, doesn't just remove the structure that once kept people out. He replaces it with something better. The wall has been demolished, and in its place, a new foundation has been laid with Christ being the cornerstone, and he's building a new temple. And when we make Jesus the strong foundations of our lives, we grow into a holy temple in the Lord. We grow as kingdom citizens and members who house and hold the presence of God and experience Him in every area of our life as we're reminded that we have this 24-7 access and connection with Him. It says that we are being built together. That is the church. There is no category in the New Testament for a Christian not belonging to a church. A Christian grows together. A follower of Jesus grows together, and that is the church, a people growing together, marked by God's presence dwelling among us. And this was the plan from the very beginning. From the very beginning, God intended for people to become his presence, people uh, who would carry his presence, people who would be living, walking, breathing temples, carrying his presence and power into all of the world, reflecting his goodness, reflecting his love, reflecting his mercy. Buildings and structure was not the intention from the beginning, but people, people becoming temples. And a familiar story that that we see in the Old Testament is that instead of becoming uh, uh, temples, not pimples, um, come on, stay with me, Uh, we're almost there. Uh, Instead of becoming temples, we become towers. Instead of becoming temples, people who carry the presence of God. The story of the Old Testament is that people build towers. And what are towers? Well, we see in Genesis 11 that the people uh, in creation gathered together and said, let's build a tower. Let's build a name for ourselves. Let's build a structure for ourselves that touches heaven so that all the world around us can see how great we are, can see how awesome we are, can see how uh, accomplished we are. And instead of building a structure that glorified God, instead of becoming a temple that praised the Lamb, they built towers that praised themselves. And the story that we see when sin comes into our lives is that instead of becoming temples who live in relationship with God and house God's presence, we build towers with our lives. We, we, we build towers and try to show off to the world, look how great and wonderful I am. And we build towers that show off uh, our success and how accomplished we are. We build towers that show how much money we have. We build towers that show that our name is great. Why? Because we want to show to the world that we are valuable, that we are accomplished. And we try to validate ourselves and find significance in what our hands can build for ourselves instead of building our lives on Jesus and seeing that all the significance and all the worth and all the value and all the love and all the approval and affirmation that your heart craves is found on Jesus and you can build your life on him. 
And instead of building our life for Jesus with Him being the foundation, we build a life for ourselves. We build a life that we believe will ultimately satisfy us. We build a life that is uh, conducive with how much money we have in our bank accounts. We build a life within the boundaries of safety and convenience instead of building a life off faith. And verse 20 says that Jesus is the cornerstone of this temple. Uh, This is amazing because uh, cornerstones were these actual physical, uh, structural stones uh, that were used to, to hold the, the majority of weight in buildings and structures. And so uh, I want to share a quote that I, in a, from a book that I was reading this week. Uh, in the early 1990s, archaeologists discovered five enormous stones that helped form the foundation of the Jerusalem temple. The largest stone measured 55 feet long, 11 feet high, 14 feet wide, and is estimated to weigh 500 70 tons. This is, this is the cornerstone, the, the stone on which the whole structure would be built. So to give you some context, uh, 50 feet is about from that door that says enter to about this first row. It's a pretty long stone. And then 14 feet wide would be this middle section plus this little walkway. It's a wide stone. It's a long stone. And then 11 feet, well, that's a little bit taller than me. Uh, this, was a, this was an enormous piece of, 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 of equipment, a large stone. This was the idea of a cornerstone. Now, why do I share this? Because the image here is that a a cornerstone is intended to be the key structural piece of a building. It is the foundation on which the entire building is built around. And, And it's intended to carry a lot of weight, handle a lot of pressure, handle a lot of stress, withstand the storms and all sorts of destructive powers. And when the scripture calls Jesus the chief cornerstone, This means that Jesus is a strong foundation for your life. This means that Jesus is a worthy foundation for your life. This means that you can build your life on him. That that Jesus is strong. That he's strong enough to support your life and build your identity on him. Uh, That Jesus is strong. He can bear the weight of your sin. He can bear the weight of your life. He can shoulder the burdens that plague you. He can carry you through life. Jesus is the cornerstone, the strong foundation on which we can build our lives on, and he can support you. He can carry you. You see, Jesus will not crumble under the weight of your doubts. Bring your doubts to him. Jesus will not crumble under the weight of your insecurities. Bring your insecurities to him. Jesus will not crumble under the weight of your addictions. Bring your addictions to him. Jesus will not crumble under your concerns about the uncertainty of life. Bring all your concerns to him. Jesus will carry you. Jesus will sustain you. Jesus is a strong foundation. And he's a worthy foundation for your life. You see, we grow as his temple when he becomes our foundation. And here's one question that I want to ask as we begin to close. Is your life a temple or a tower? Is your life the life that you're living right now, is it a temple? Temples are wide. Temples are expansive. Temples are inclusive. Is your life a temple that houses the presence of God and welcomes the people of God? 
Or is it a tower that only goes in one direction up? And the sole intent of your life is to create a name for yourself. To build a life of success and value and worth. That takes no one else into consideration except yourself. Is your life a temple or is it a tower? Are you building your life on the strong foundation? Placing all of your doubts, all of your concerns, all of your joys, all of your expectations on Jesus? Are you shouldering the weight of life, trying to build a name for yourself? Trying to do what is right in your own eyes? And the good news of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, is that we can trust Jesus with our life. Because Jesus trusted, entrusted his life to the Father. And Jesus entrusted his life, the ordinary moments and the extraordinary moments, with his Father in mind, in relationship with him, always maintaining, always living in 100% access with him. So if it was as incredible as multiplying food and walking on water, or it was sweating blood in the garden, Jesus shows us that there's no moment in life where we cannot live without God's presence and power with us. And he dies and he shows us that when we entrust our lives to him, that he is worthy of our trust, that he's worthy of our life, and he's a worthy foundation. And living for him is a far better way to live. And Jesus has died so that God can become your father, not your guardian, not your life coach, not your mentor, not your teacher, but your father. And that you can become his temple the person who carries his presence and power and goodness into all of life and build your life on him and not your own name and not yourself. Is your life a temple of the Lord or a tower for yourself? Let's close in prayer as we process this together. And Lord, I praise you and I thank you uh, that you've died that you've lived and you've died for us. So that you could tear down this wall of hostility, this wall that causes separation uh, from you and from one another, and now we can build our lives on you. I thank you, Lord, that your gospel frees us from living for ourselves, uh, and now we can live for you. Not because of what we've done or, or, or how good we are or how great our name is, but because how good you are and how great you are, and how wonderful your name is. I praise you that we have access through Jesus dying for our sins. I praise you that we have access to you, uh, not when we schedule a meeting with you, uh, not when we're on good terms with you, but in the good or the bad, on the worst days or the best days. You are present, and because of our faith and life in Christ, you will never Remove yourself from us. So Father, in this moment, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help us to search our hearts. Help us to identify the areas of our life where we're trying to build a name for ourselves. Show us the areas of our life where we're building a tower instead of a temple. Show us those parts of our lives where we're relying on ourselves instead of relying on you. 
would you take a moment to ask the Holy Spirit to help reveal those parts of life to you? greatest gifts God gives us is repentance. It says it's the kindness of God that draws us to repentance. And it's a gift because what happens is when we turn away from the the life, uh, the things that we're relying on for life or significance, we turn to a God who's there and ready to receive us and embrace us. We turn to a God who we have uh, untethered access to. Would you take a moment, if the Holy Spirit has revealed an area of your life where maybe you're built or building a tower, would you take a moment to turn, to repent, and come to Jesus, and embrace God, and ask Him to make you more and more of His temple. guests, not as visitors, but as family. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us. Help us to make your name great, not ours. Help us to build our life on your foundation and not our own efforts or works. Help us to love you and serve you. In Jesus' name.